Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage together, drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm discipleship pastor for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And we hope that this show will be enjoyable and edifying for all listeners, but especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are preparing lessons uh, in the upcoming weeks. So if you're preaching a sermon, uh, whether you use the lectionary or not, if you are looking at Psalm 30, which is our psalm this week, and want to Get a few ideas, uh, both uh, in terms of the study and exegesis of the text, as well as um, possible ways to apply it to our lives. We hope that this uh, show will fit those intentions. So yeah, that's our text this week, Psalm 30. Our guest this week is Ken Shank. Ken is no stranger to regular listeners of the show. Ken is a key leader in the Campus EDU, which is a... Uh, innovative new uh, organization that partners with uh, universities and colleges to produce uh, really high quality online learning experiences. So check out campusedu.com to see what they're up to. Ken is a scholar of the scriptures. He's a New Testament expert in particular, although he knows uh, his Hebrew and his Old Testament really well. So he's great to have with us as we look at Psalm thirty. This week, he's a author of numerous books. Just search him on uh, Amazon, and you'll find uh, quite a few texts that he's written on Book of Hebrews, on Paul, on uh, various topics as well. And is an expert, especially in afterlife uh, studies in the ancient Jewish world, which is very relevant to Psalm 30, uh, which we're going to look at today. So glad to have Ken on the show. While you're listening to the show today, if you enjoy it and want to pass it on to someone else, just press the share button. Every podcast player app has a share button. You can just tap that and then you can send it as a text message or on social media to your friends to let them know about the show. The best way to get the word out about the show is through word of mouth that way. So uh, we appreciate you getting the word out that way uh, today. And if you'd like to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and find out how you can become a patron saint of the show. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this conversation about Psalm 30 with Ken Shank. So Psalm 30, would you be willing to read it? Translation of your choice, any sure. version will do. Psalm 30. All right, so reading from the new new RSV. There is an updated NRSV out, but I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's what I'm reading. Oh, okay. I didn't know they, there was but, a uh, recent yeah. update. Yep. Massively different or uh, they've made some changes that David De Silva at Ashland thinks are good. Of course he was on, you know, one of the people yeah. they asked. So dog in that fight. So. <laughs> but um, so Psalm 30. The heading I have is uh, Thanksgiving for Recovery from Grave Illness and a psalm, a song of the dedication of the Temple of David. And I'm not quite sure what to make of that since David wasn't at the dedication of the Temple. But I I generally ignore the – I don't ignore, (laughs) but I most Don't put too much stock in the the headings. The headings, that's right. So verse 1. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. You did not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol. 
Restored me to life from among those gone down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you had established me as a strong mountain. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cried, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Psalms, for this Psalm in particular, and for all the ways that you teach us and guide us to thank you and to praise you. And thanks for Ken and the time he's giving to have a conversation about this Psalm. So Lord, may the the familiar moments in this Psalm be made unfamiliar and fresh to us. And may the May the unfamiliar moments in the psalm become familiar to us as we spend a little time studying this word. So, Lord, may your word and spirit be at work among us today. We ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Great psalm. Yeah. So, what do you notice? It's got a lot of it's got a lot of famous lines in it. Yeah. Although yeah. maybe it's you know you think I, I was thinking of like okay what's the you know, there's psalms that are famous as a whole, right? Like 23, for example, or Psalm 1. And then there's psalms that have famous lines, yeah. even if the psalm as a whole is not widely memorized and sung. And I feel like this is more of the latter. It's got a couple really famous lines. So it'll be yeah. interesting in the course of our conversation whether the standard way of interpreting those famous lines yeah, turn, is nuanced in context, you know? You turn my morning into dance. Yes. You know, Joy comes with the morning. Yeah, those are the, probably the big two, yeah. right? Of course, I, I remember this psalm because, um, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, I did some study on afterlife traditions oh. in, in Judaism. And, of course, uh, Psalm 6, Psalm 30, these are, these are ones that have the intriguing, why let me die? Will the dust praise you? You know, it's, it's like the psalmist has no thought of there being any kind of personal meaningful existence after after death. So I, I remember Psalm 30 from those studies years ago. Yeah, so would later rabbis and apocalyptic texts and these sorts of things, would, would this, would cite quotes, quoting from this psalm show up in those debates? Or was it more that it was a sort of background in that, that conversation? I don't remember that it I don't know what I may have I don't I don't know the the rabbinic literature well enough. I mean the rabbinic literature is actually quite strong mm-hmm. in the Mishnah saying that anybody who denies that right. the Pentateuch teaches the afterlife will have no part in the world to come. Which you know, is a bit of a thou doth protest too much, right? It shows that like there that. it was up for debate right. not too um, long before, right? Um, <laughs> and of course I'm getting off track to the the parts that's not that's not important, really. Well, I don't know. It's important. I don't mind talking about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'd have hit it eventually. Um, but, you know, it's sometimes suggested that that the, we tend to think of the Sadducees as these 
these liberals, you know, who didn't believe in the resurrection, but actually they represent at least temporarily the the older tradition. The book of Sirach from 200 BC has no sense of a meaningful afterlife. The Pharisees were, depending on how you look at it, a renewal of resurrection belief or even Innovation. origin of, yeah. from one perspective. And so you do have, I mean, Ecclesiastes, I know uh, Larissa has a different interpretation of Ecclesiastes, uh, but there are certainly passages in Ecclesiastes that sound like the, the preacher has no real conception of a meaningful afterlife. Of course, Daniel 12 is the, the centerpiece in the Old Testament on this, um, the clearest teaching in the Old Testament on resurrection. So the resurrection is not in question. Some of the Old Testament authors didn't certainly didn't emphasize it. At least uh, it wasn't on the radar, as yeah. it were. You could take this psalm to basically, you know, sometimes we compartmentalize our thinking on subjects. And so you could see someone saying, oh, yeah, 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 I believe in an afterlife. But, you know, in terms of my life right now, why would you want me to stop praising you? You know, you know when I'm dead, I'm in the coffin. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do believe in an afterlife. I mean, you, I, I'm not saying that that's what the psalmist did, but we do sometimes compartmentalize our beliefs into different buckets, so to speak. Yeah, if you think of, I don't know, a distinction between maybe the the mind of the author of a text and the spirit of an entire canon. This doesn't have to stand in direct contradiction with a resurrection belief or an immortality belief or whatever, right? It's more that it stands in tension with it because it's not the emphasis, even if the actual author didn't have that doctrine in mind, you know? It makes I mean, me the, think the, of, ca- the canon is completely clear on this question. Yeah, yeah, especially once you have Daniel included. First uh, Corinthians 15. I mean, there's no question. But the tensions in within the Old Testament, I mean, Daniel stands out, but Daniel's also, though in our most uh, Christian Bibles, is sitting there next to the other major prophets. In the Tanakh, it's not. It's part of that third portion, the writings. It's not sitting there next to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, right? It, so it's probably a later, it's a later text, right? Than those. So the idea that uh resurrection belief is a later development seems at least plausible or likely. There's lots of things we believe that came along later, right? Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I talk about um, God turning on lights on various issues, comparison of second uh, Samuel 24, one with first Chronicles 21, one second uh, Samuel 24, one says, God put it in the heart of David to number the children of Israel. First uh, Chronicles 21, one says Satan put it in the heart of yeah. David. You know, I, I, can, I think I can work out how these can fit together. But um, but I've, I've always thought that God turned on, you know, turned on the lights about Satan uh, in between Second Samuel and First Chronicles. And so that Second Samuel has a much simpler theodicy uh, that God's responsible for everything, which he's in control of everything. But First Chronicles is a little more granular, I would say, in, how, in the mechanisms of, of temptation. So you're inclined to take that as a nuance, not a flat contradiction, but a nuance as a development. That's my preference. Yeah. Yeah. Job, interestingly enough, and I'm sorry, we're going way off of I love it. This Job, is a blast. <laughs> Job, has, Job has that tension within it, I would say. Yes. Uh, in that, yeah. in the bubble above Job's head, he knows nothing of Satan. Job never finds out about Satan. Job is the Lord gives, the Lord takes right, away. Right, but the narrative framing device. Yeah. Blessed be the name of the Lord, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. We know from uh, Job 1 and 2 that there's more involved in the process than and even just when, that. 
you know, when Yahweh shows up and has his own poems at the end, he doesn't like throw Satan under the bus. Right. So yeah. not just in Job's head, the bubble above Job's head, but at least the words in the Lord's mouth doesn't use Satan as an escape hatch. Right. And I think, so for me, I'm inclined to like, I, I'm comfortable with the notions of progressive revelation, the, the light switching on, as you put it. Or sometimes I talk about the target getting more precise. Ah, yeah. Um, so that, that we have a broader, we have, we have the kindergarten. No, I don't want to say that. Uh, offend all our Old Testament people. <laughs> in the Old Testament, sometimes things are less precise or less refined in their explanations as in the New Testament. Anyway. Or even across the Old Testament as it sure, develops. Right? Sure, yeah. And then seeing the New Testament as just part of that development. So that doesn't have to be old versus new even. It can just be developments over time. I do want to say, and this maybe can be a way back into Psalm 30, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we went here. This is where I was hoping we'd go with you in particular on, on Psalm 30. So this is great. The, I'm still always curious about what's the insight that then an earlier text, how do you retain the insight as the nuance or as another, you know, so for me, I'm, I'm, in, I'm inclined to want to say, is there still something deeply true to be learned? Maybe, especially for those of us who have maybe an overdeveloped sense of afterlife to be reminded of death as an enemy, to be reminded that there's a loss and not only gain in death. I think of even Paul, I mean, you can't get more of it. Philippians 1. Exactly. Philippians 1, where he's like, I'm genuinely torn. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I don't know what, I don't know. I mean, to be with Christ is really good, you know, but you guys need me here. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, obviously that's a, that's a different emphasis because here he's sort of appealing to God saying, you'll get more praise out of yeah. me if you let me live. But if um, we think of God's praise, not as in the abstract of whether there's some being somewhere praising God, but specifically the glory of God on this earth. Yeah. I've got know. plenty of people up here in heaven praising me. Nice to have some people down on earth doing it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could, <laughs> again, I'm not saying these thoughts are in the mind of the psalmist. Sure. I think we don't have to say that, but to say that we could have these thoughts alongside of other thoughts we might have because of other things we believe and still learn something from them. I don't know if that resonates with you or not, but. And certainly we, we inspire each other to worship uh, while we're de- together down here. It doesn't exactly say that, but, but the psalmist staying on earth facilitates praise among the people of God in a way that it might not if the psalmist dies. Yeah. I mean, in that sense, Again, that's not the the thrust of verses 8 and 9 and 10. And yet, I mean, verse, uh, verse 4, at least, is addressed to... There is a third sure. character here, right? It's not just addressed to God as it is in the opening and as it is in the end. There, there is that section 4 and 5 where it, there is an invitation or a call to worship. Sure, of others, yeah. Faithful ones. Yeah, actually, that was one word I wanted to camp on before we go to a break. Yeah, verse four, sing to the Lord, his faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name, right? Is that what you have? You had an NRSV out. I don't actually have my, I think I left my NRSV in the, in the hallway. Kasi dive, the, the chesed, the, the, yeah. the loving ones. And it, I guess this is the root word for the chasidim. Yeah, chasidim. Yeah. Faithful ones, yeah. So faithful Works makes sense. Um, the saints is the way I think the NIV translates it. 
The Chassidim were, I mean, there's debate, were prototypes in the early 2nd century BC of the Pharisees and maybe the Essenes. I mean, who, I mean, who knows exactly? But before there were Pharisees and Essenes, there were Chassidim in the um, Maccabean literature. Yes. Yeah, so in, in that in that literature, again, this, this psalm may be older. That might not be a category, a group of people yet. Sure. But what were they in that period? Would they have been a... Like a like a party or a sect or um, more a, a just a particularly a, faithful a party I would say of a purist okay individuals who did not cave to the pressures of Hellenization and the Syrians um, but who remained faithful to the law in that time period okay so and of course in this I mean that that term shows up quite a lot actually in the Psalms right but I'm not sure it's a uh, no, it's, it's not a party in the Psalms. Right, right. It's not a technical term yet there. No, it no. It's just, to just those who are faithful. Uh, it, in fact, it's probably the, the influence goes the other way. Probably the... They kind of grab the, this term, The Chassidim right? grabbed the term from the Psalms, yeah. But it's related to Chesed. Uh, yeah. Which is, of course, the, the covenant faithfulness, uh, loving kindness, mercy, the, the word used of Yahweh so often in the Old Testament. So, but here it would be the people being faithful to the covenant yeah, in from, response. From the other end. From yeah. the other side, right. Yeah. And so then is that, well, how about let's take a quick break and then come back and talk about how that might influence how we read this famous verse five. So let's okay. take a quick break and come back and discuss that. All right. Welcome back. To Fresh Text, I'm here with my guest, uh, Ken Shank, and we're looking at Psalm 30, Psalm 30. Uh, I'll read it again so it's fresh in our ears. This is from Robert Alter's version, which I've been using quite a bit this year as we've been in the Psalms. So Psalm 30, Psalm, song for the dedication of the house, not dedification, added a syllable, <laughs> the dedication of the house and for David. I shall exalt you, Lord, for you drew me up, and you gave no joy to my enemies. Lord, my God, I cried to you, and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from Sheol, gave me life from those gone down to the pit. Hymn to the Lord, O his faithful, acclaim his holy name. But for a moment in his wrath, Life in his pleasure. At evening, one beds down weeping, and in the morning, glad song. As for me, I thought in my quiet days, never will I stumble. Lord, in your pleasure, you made me stand mountain strong. When you hid your face, I was stricken. To you, O Lord, I call, and to the master I plead. What profit in my blood in going in my going down deathward, will dust acclaim you? Will it tell your truth? Hear, Lord, and grant me grace. Lord, become helper to me. You have turned my dirge to a dance for me, undone my sackcloth and bound me with joy. Oh, let my heart hymn you and be not still. Lord, my God, for all time, I acclaim you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's take a look at four and five real quick, just having raised that right before the break. So this reference to the 
the Hasidim, the saints, the faithful ones, the covenant faithful ones. Is there, it, it dawns on me, you tell me if this clicks for you, that in a way we get a picture of God's chesed, God's covenant faithfulness, then in verse five, right? It wouldn't, in a way, wouldn't this be a summary statement of, of why, why chesed gets translated both mercy and love and faithfulness, because in different circumstances, different words would fit, right? This notion that there is anger, there is wrath at unfaithfulness, but it's brief, whereas his favor, his pleasure his remains, that, that lasts a lifetime. Again, I, I don't know if that's what's in the mind of the author, but I feel like you almost get a, a really nice caption for what chesed means, in that verse five that just dawned on me today talking to you. I don't know if that, that he's faithful. He's faithful to us, not just in his, in his pleasantness, but also in his anger. Yeah. And that notion, I, I think of the phrase when, I don't know if it's when Chesed gets used for the first time, but it's definitely a place where it gets emphasized in Exodus after their failure with the golden calf and all that jazz. And, and when he makes the reference and God speaks his name and, and says, uses that word hesed and then says the punish to the fourth generation, but faithful to a thousand generations. That seems to parallel this language of anger for a moment, good pleasure for forever. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know whether, whether you like, whether you like this, but, but um, I do believe in discipline as a, as a formative rather than a punitive kind of, kind of dynamic. And, I mean, I do kind of get that vibe from this psalm. I don't know whether you yeah. agree with that. That the, when you step back and you look at the whole psalm, what is this psalm is about? This psalm is about, in the end, the Lord rescuing uh, the psalmist. But but it also seems to imply. Tell me if you agree. It also seems to imply that the Lord let the guy get into trouble. Uh, the Lord let him experience a little bit of of uh, anger, so to speak. Um, whether whether that's active or the Lord basically saying, okay, I'm I'm going to step back and let this happen to you. I have way too many chickens, or rather, my wife does. You know, and there there are times when you know I decide, do I intervene in what's going on here, or do I not intervene? I can't intervene all the time, so I'm somewhat selective in when I intervene with the natural perverseness of chickens. <laughs> um, but I mean, I wonder if God. Uh, God you just could. moved. Did you move your chickens? We moved with our you? chickens. Oh. Did you? <laughs> That's um, great. <laughs> so I don't know whether God is like that as to whether sometimes God says, okay, you've gotten yourself into a bit of a, a pickle here. I could save you, but maybe uh, maybe you need to uh, learn not to get into pickles. Again, I don't know what what your theology of, of God's discipline is, but that idea of his wrath lasts for a moment. Certainly, there's a lot of Jewish literature, like the Maccabean literature, I think it's four Maccabees, that says, don't gloat over the fact that you're beating us up right now, because God kind of disciplines as he goes with us. But with you, he kind of stores it up until he's just, <laughs> and then he annihilates you. <laughs> yeah, take, but, <laughs> take the discipline as you go, the alternatives work. <laughs> well, I mean, the the passage at hand, at least, and then whatever my theology is may be of less interest, but kind of you to ask, I'll, I might pitch something. But verse seven, by your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was dismayed. So, I mean, 
And even the language of hiding the face of, of God turning his face away has a kind of a subtlety, a nuance of a kind of non-active protection. You know, you almost sure. think, again, I'm not saying that all of these cross-references are in the mind of the psalmist, but you think of the way that the chaos, the waters of Genesis 1 are kind of pushed into the corner. So it takes a kind of act of God to protect the world. And in the moment of, I mean, obviously the, the Noah story a couple chapters later is an act of punishment, but it's, it's sort of executed by way of God kind of removing his protection, you know, yeah. like kind of allowing this chaos that had been stored up in the heavens and under the mountains to kind of let it go loose, you know. And that's very important in my in my theology, the distinction between God's directive and God's permissive will. And again, to some Calvinists, that doesn't make a difference. You know, but to me, it makes a difference as to whether God says, I'm going to blast you or I'm just not going to stop this from happening. I mean, it makes a difference to me. Yeah, I mean, it does to me. It's the only, it is, of course, mainstream Christian theology. The Calvin's the, the oddity, although he does regard, I remember one of my Calvinist professors pointing out that Calvin refers to that distinction between God's uh, permissive and ordained will, which is in John of Damascus. I mean, it's a very old distinction, refers to it as sophistry. Like it's just something you make up to make God look good. And they, at least the reform teachers that I had really emphasized a different distinction between the revealed and the hidden will of God. So yeah, everything's under God's will. Of course, interesting. Everyone needs a distinction or sure. God's not worthy of worship. Sure. If he's just yeah. like, you know, uh, so there was still a distinction, sort of an alternative distinction introduced. Things we understand uh, and things we don't. Yeah. Understand. Which again, you know, I mean, you know, if, if all you have is the book of Job, the Calvinist conclusions become slightly more plausible. Sure. I'm with you. I think the classical distinction between what God is ordaining. And I think the imagery of hiding the face is a nice, again, not a proof text for a distinction, but a nice image to capture the removal of protection, as it were. Which, again, back to the thing we were talking about at the beginning, it seems like the picture of death, Sheol, the pit here, is that kind of a place, a place removed from the divine presence, the divine face, the divine favor. It's a place you don't uh, want to be is kind of outside of God's purview, as it were. I don't know if that strikes you as accurate or not, but yeah, I mean, certainly my impression of of these wisdom or poetic texts is that at least from the from the side of the dead, they're not engaging God, but also that He's not receiving praise from them as well. Yeah, again, I don't want to get stuck on this, but I can't help, especially with with you here, the person who actually first taught me the centrality of resurrection teaching to the New Testament. I mean, in some ways, this, again, it sounds like a ghost, a pretty empty afterlife, but it actually sets up the doctrine of resurrection perfectly because it, it means that an actual resurrection becomes necessary for divine sure. praise, right? I mean, I feel like that's, I don't know if that's the way that the Pharisees argued, but it's one of the stronger arguments. Not that Psalm 30 teaches resurrection but that sets up for it sets it up it like yeah it's like a it's like a it's it's a perfect uh alley-oop as it were you know yeah, I mean, that's, and, that's, and then if someone actually is raised from the dead in the middle of time i.e jesus right it's like that's a slam dunk now okay you have one person who's raised from the dead 
he's able to praise God, you know? So it's not just life after death. It's a, it's a new life that's able to fulfill this, you know? Yeah. And I, I'm sure you've, you've uh, hammered that, the whole tension between the intermediate state and the resurrection. Yeah. I know Chris Bounds, you know, I've talked with him in the past about that. And, and he's, he said, whatever the intermediate state is, it's not the life of the, of the resurrection. There's still something dramatically better and different about resurrection than whatever, and I'm using my own words here, immortality we might have. Right. Um, in, in between disembodied or, or whatever. Of course, there are those who believe in soul, soul sleep, Seventh day Adventists, and so, so forth, who don't see any conscious, uh, in between, but anyway, the, the tension between well, what's what is the difference between Abraham's bosom yeah. and and the kingdom of of God? Uh, Abraham seems to be pretty happy, you know. So you can you can blur that that distinction of how important resurrection is, and Christian tradition, or not Christian tradition, but Christians, I think, sometimes don't know what to do with the resurrection because we've been so. If you make the intermediate state so awesome, yeah, then it's like <laughs> the immortality. What's left? <laughs> the immortality, of the soul. I mean, this is an old conversation about how the immortality of the soul is is really not the central biblical understanding of the afterlife resurrection is but anyway that, all, all that is to say is yeah what you said yeah well i think the last two lines of the apostles creed you know it's believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting it doesn't say i believe in life everlasting and the, resurrection. and the resurrection of the body right it's whatever everlasting life is it's it's uh it's preceded by uh, resurrection. Whatever comes before the resurrection in that is actually left blank. The closest thing you get is communion of the saints. If that's referencing saints who have gone before us, then we are in some kind of communion with them. Uh, that might be what that's referencing. It might not be. That's kind of pretty hotly debated how that line's supposed to be taken. But uh, the dominant note is on is on resurrection there. And of course, these are not, I mean, again... We're going far afield from the text at hand, but I'm glad we are because it's it's pretty huge, especially because, I mean, there's a lot of settings you could put here. You could put these opening verses as as a, okay, you, you kept me from dying, but you could quite easily put, say, like verse three as a nice little caption under an icon of Jesus being raised from sure. the dead, right? It sure. works really well. You have brought up my soul from Sheol, from the place of the dead, um, restored me to life. Again, uh, it's probably not how it's being used. It's probably just dramatic language for, man, I was good as dead. And yet, once that narrative enters into our consciousness, wow, I mean, yeah. to see these, to see that there's, there's a lot of ways of doing Christian readings of the Psalms and, and all of them have their strong points and weak points. But, you know, the way I was exposed to it and got talked out of in my younger years, learning how to read the Psalms on their own terms was to kind of see these as prophecies talking about Jesus. But what, what, what helped me kind of experience Christian meaning in the Psalms again was to, when I encountered the language, I I first heard it from Luther, although he just learned it because it was standard teaching in the middle ages that Christ is the true voice of the Psalms. Have you ever heard that phrase to hear him saying these words, Richard Hayes, uh, has a famous article, Christ Praised the Psalms. Ah, okay, um, perfect. And, and of course, uh, Hebrews, uh, Psalm 40 in uh, Hebrews 10, you know, the Lord entering into the world says, and he quotes Psalm 40. Yeah. So, yeah. 
I actually and like boy, verse three on the lips of Jesus is pretty awesome, right? And it I, really works. And I, he would have learned Psalms. It's not like so. I'm not having to. I'm not having to attribute thoughts to an author five centuries before Christ that in a text that doesn't even claim to be prophetic. It's one thing to say Isaiah's talking about the Messiah when he uses the word Messiah. You know what I mean? And then it's talking about the future. It's it. It's honestly kind of strange to do it with a psalm when I don't have a New Testament citation to interpret it that way. But I mean, I have a hunch that that uh, the Holy Spirit used those kinds of readings of the Old Testament to actually generate resurrection belief. Ooh. Uh, so like uh, Isaiah, or, well, Ezekiel 30, well, Isaiah 26, is it? Ezekiel 37, can these dry bones live again? Um, I think I think for Ezekiel, that's a... Uh, a picture of the restoration of Israel, not not about resurrection originally. But I have no problem believing that the Holy Spirit used that text to help Jews in the second century BC believe in, in arrive resu- at that belief in resurrection. Which is different than saying Ezekiel thirty seven teaches resurrection or that Psalm thirty teaches resurrection. It 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 occasions it it, it makes possible it what well, you used a word. What was the word? I can't remember. Facilitate. Uh, yeah. The Holy Spirit used these to catalyze the, those beliefs. Catalyze. Nice. Um, but um, yeah. So before we take a quick break and explore some sermon starters, any last uh, any last thoughts on on the whole psalm or any details that we should have attended to? Thought I'd just give you the floor. And if there's anything else you want to slip in before we? Well, I mean, there 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 are. I'm very thankful. Many close calls, you know, when, wow, that could have gone really badly or that could have gone a, a different way. But Lord doesn't always rescue us. Hmm. But um, I think if we all live long enough, there'll be plenty of times where we can say, you've turned my morning into dancing um, uh, or, uh, or man, that was a close one, but you, you brought me out of the deep miry clay. So, I mean, the Psalm, the psalm has all the release, and maybe we're getting into preaching a little bit here. Perfect. You know, that, that the psalm has all the release of, whew, uh, that was a close one. But the Lord saw me through. The Lord saw us through. That's my main takeaway from the psalm. Well, that's beautiful. Well, let's take a quick break and explore some sermon starters after that. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Ken Shank, and we're looking at Psalm 30. Psalm 30. What prophet is in my blood, in my going down deathward? You have turned my mourning into dancing, taken my sackcloth and bound me with joy. So, yeah, let's explore some sermon starters. Where would you want to head with this? I guess, like you said, right before the break, you're already kind of close call is the the vibe of the text the atmosphere of the text right yeah, Phew. maybe maybe you maybe uh, those listening have never done anything stupid uh, <laughs> uh, particularly the the women listening uh, all, all men I think do things that are stupid and especially in their teens maybe I'm wrong because that's sexist to say that but um, I mean I've done stupid things you know I remember I climbed up the side of a hill once in England and I got near the top and I began to run out of things to grab hold of. And I thought, what did I do here? I could die. Yeah. But um, I think probably the psalmist is thinking less in terms of stupidity, uh, probably more in terms of um, 
just bad judgment, maybe moral even judgment, if that's a, a, a appropriate term in the Old Testament. But um, I mean, maybe maybe those listening have come close to a temptation. You know, you you came a little bit too close mm. to doing something that you shouldn't do. Well, I, I I would probably preach this psalm in terms of thank you, Lord, that you didn't let me experience the you know the worst of what that moment could have gotten to, and I am dedicating myself to full worship of you um, and full uh, following of you uh, moving forward. I'm not going to let that happen again. You know, you've turned my morning into dancing. Those are the kind of the thoughts that come to my mind. I don't know. What do you th- What do you think of? Yeah, that last bit of what you were saying strikes me. I know that there are some moments in other Psalms that refer to uh, like paying vows, repaying a vow. And it occurred to me as you were speaking that this psalm almost works as a kind of vow itself, you know, kind of, I could see myself, you know, learning portions of this psalm and saying them in a moment of, you know, relief. And it's not, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you. Right. It's, you've gotten me out of this, man, I'm going to exactly serve you, which hopefully you don't need a crisis to, to do that. But sometimes we, we kind of get, take our eye off the ball. Well, that's back to your point earlier of 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 uh, discipline as formative and not just punitive. Could it be that God temporarily hides His face because it, it sometimes takes a close call to to wake us up um, to what really matters and to get our priorities in order? You know, that would be one of the the reasons for. Discipline. I know, I mean, you talked about your chickens earlier. I'll yeah. make reference to my, even just children. Like if I protect my kid from every possible danger, right? They never learn where the dangers are, right? <laughs> there has to be a little, again, yeah. you know, I don't actively put them in danger, but immediately protecting a child from every kind of pain is, is actually a way to keep the child uh, stunted, in their development, you know, they have to take a little bit of risks, you know, again, that's making me as a parent, you know, into God. And I don't care for those kinds of analogies uh, too much, but there's at least something potentially instructive in that. On the chicken motif. I mean, we transported them overnight. You know, the idea was that they'd be sleeping while we, okay. while we drove them from New York to Indiana, but I'm, I'm too old to be doing all nighters. I mean, there were times where I'm starting to, I'm starting to dream while I'm driving. And, oh my you know, heavens! And you, and you think this is terrifying. You, you think you think to yourself, um, "Okay, I need to pull over and and take a nap." And Lord, thank you that I didn't go full sleep on that, you know, on that on that moment when my thoughts were going somewhere that had nothing to do with what you know what what's in front of me. I mean, I, that's again maybe I'm wrong. Strikes me as a little bit. You know, you turned my morning into dancing. You know, I, I Lord, I took, I, I, I began to wander from you. You know, maybe I wasn't even intentionally losing focus on you. Maybe I wasn't even trying to. Maybe it wasn't a high-handed sin or a, a, a willful transgression of a known law of God. You know, maybe I was just, maybe I just ignored you. Uh, maybe it was a sin of omission. Maybe it was a something like that. A sin of surprise, as Wesley says. Yeah. Um, You've got sin. Um, but um, thank you, Lord, that that didn't go the way it could have gone. 
you've turned my morning into dancing and I'm going to, I'm going to serve you as one of the Hasidim. Yeah. I mean, cause there are Psalms designed for a penitential begging for forgiveness for a high handed sin, right? Yeah. Whatever, uh, whatever sinfulness or moral failing is implied in this Psalm. It's not of that sort because there's, there's Psalms for that, right? This, this one would be more of a close call as it were. Um, help me see why you sense there might be a kind of a moral layer to this psalm. Are there some clues along those lines? Well, anger, why is it not the, just a you're in trouble kind of thing? I don't know the like anger in battle or something like that. You know, anger of the Lord sounds okay. Sounds stronger to me than just. Um, I mean, of course, I, I take emotions in relation to God as pictures. Sure, um, but. Um, it sounds like there's some displeasure involved. Although I think that's nose, isn't it? Um, it's fun. His nose, or the nose of... Um, with Which his verse? No- verse five, is it? Oh, the wrath? Isn't that nose? Yeah, it's a, it's a, a hot nose, right? Isn't that <laughs> the imagery of, of a... Yeah, nostril. You yeah, see? the nostril flaring, to use a English idiom, right? Yeah, for, for, uh, for a moment in his nose... <laughs> for a moment in his nose. So then, but a lifetime in his pleasure, is that also then a concrete image? In his, in his favor. Yeah. I, would, I, I was wondering if the I'm not favor, sure Razon, I don't, I'm not sure that that's a, that may not be as striking as the nose. Yeah. I think that's more abstract, but anyway, he sneezes at us. There's a moment, in his, <laughs> a moment in his nose. <laughs> You don't want to be in God's nose, that's for sure. Yeah, that pleasure returns in verse 7. You know, in your pleasure, you you made me mountain strong. See, yep, same word. Which then yeah. implies that the hiding of the face is a different way of capturing yeah. the wrath, right? Yeah. That puts those in parallel, Yeah. yeah right? Absolutely. And speaking of parallels, I, I just noticed this today, and, and it may, maybe it helps think about how to preach or teach this psalm, but I noticed there's a the word joy appearing at both the beginning and the end of the psalm. Again, what to make of this, I don't know, but first verse saying, you gave no joy to my enemies. My enemies didn't get an opportunity to have joy over me. And then that same term gets repeated. Samach. Yep, Samach in verse 12 or 11 in the English take off my sackcloth and wrapped me with, with joy. Same word. Samak. So it's like, so that includes you. Yeah. So the joy that others don't get the Lord over me, I eventually get to experience. I don't know if there's anything to that, but I must admit when you talk about those close calls, I mean, as you grow older and have more leadership, more influence, that's one of the, same with the go down to the pit, who's going to praise you? It's kind of like for leaders in the church in particular, like if, if I am to fail in my faithfulness to God and my faithfulness to my wife and family and local community, I mean, that makes the church look bad. You know what I mean? It makes God look bad. Yeah, you know what I mean? Enemies of God gloat. That's what I was thinking of was yeah. that gloating. And there is a lot of understandable gloating that's happening even now 
in the ways that the church fails, you know, and there's a joy, there's a joy there, Lord, you know, Lord, thank you that I didn't let you down. <laughs> yeah. Lord, thank you that I didn't um, make you look bad. You know, yeah, I, that I did not give reason to doubt doubt you or to scoff at you. Yeah, you know, I never saw till today the moral close call potential reading of this psalm, and I find it extremely helpful and makes the psalm really relevant and just. I think there's so much potential there in terms of ways that this could be preached in a very practical way. And, and even, you know, not to get too listy, but it it lays out what to do, you know, after a a close call as, as I keep calling it. And it's everywhere from Thanksgiving and praise to uh, a commitment and dedication. And then all of a sudden, maybe the dedication of the house isn't so the dedication of the temple is not so uh, strange at the beginning after all. You know that I always wonder La David, and I'm not an expert, but it could be translated for David or in mm-hmm. honor in honor of David. You know, I've wondered if the tradition has made a mistake by taking these as as uh, attrib- attributions of authorship when, in fact, they're more in honor of uh, of David. But anyway, I'm not an expert on that that whole question. Oh yeah, I mean, and you can set aside the David question and just see that phrase of dedication. Of the house, and it is like you said, house rather than. I mean, it is temple. the usual word for temple, but right. Um, by by it, yeah. See, that can just be house yeah. quite easily. It's not even the house, right? It's just house. It is the house. Yeah. Oh, it is the house. So that's probably the temple, but doesn't have to be. And just thinking about what it means to dedicate one's life and one's household, one's church, one's work. You know, again, I'm thinking about the the practical significance of dedication, right? Of an act of dedication and of what it means to dedicate oneself, to devote oneself and all the one's house. Yeah. Yeah. Again, maybe too cute, but I think there's something (laughs) there to at least catch the spirit of something that the ancient editors of this, of the Psalter saw, you know, they saw something that somehow this Psalm fits. Well, fits a dedication. I guess. I guess you could say at the very um, least Hanukkah. You know, the the, the rededication of the David temple. Knowledge of David's failures, and yet he can he can be intro, integral to the dedication of the house. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Almost, I almost feel like there were two different prefaces to the psalm. Yep, it feels like yeah, like one person put La David and another person put on the dedication of the house. But, yeah, I mean, Alter tries to pre- preserve that by putting a comma. Between it, it just says psalm, comma, song for the dedication of the house. I keep adding a syllable to that. It's so weird. Comma for David. Mm. So he's trying to capture that you don't have to think of those as a, as right. a single sentence. Which, when it comes to headings, I mean that's fair. You know, sure. um, they don't have to read as a as a sentence. Yeah. You know. Well, this was great. I had a blast. I hope yeah. you had fun. Always too. fun. Thanks Always so fun. much, Ken. Always learn. Yeah, thanks, uh, Todd and Eric, for your production work. Can't imagine doing the show without you. Thanks to Tom Adamson for the theme music. I appreciate you. Uh, Thanks to all our listeners, but especially uh, those who support the show. If you'd like to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text, and you can see ways to become a patron saint of the show. And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Great being with you. (laughs) 